Hello and welcome to the latest Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the latest in insurance leadership stories, whether they be from the insure tech world or whether they be from the innovation coming out of the incumbent market. We're looking to people that change the shape of the insurance world as we know it in 2021 and beyond. Um, in this episode, I was lucky enough to be joined by Amrit from Hyper Exponential. Um, Amrit's a fantastic guy. He was referred to me by a, a couple of people um, and I think um, uh, we connected via um, his involvement in the Lloyd's Lab. Um, he also runs a fantastic uh, podcast called Startup Dads. Um, Startup Dads is a podcast about the challenges of starting uh, new businesses and, um, and starting a family um, and the parallels and joys that come out of both of those things. Um, it's a really good listen. Um, I listened to um, a couple over the weekend and really enjoyed it. So I recommend that strongly. But um, his role at Hyper Exponential, um, he's a former actuary um, from the market and and um, him and one of these colleagues who are both um, actuaries and computer scientists because they weren't um, satisfied with doing one hard thing, um, started a business called Hyper Exponential, which is a next generation um, analytics uh, platform um, for uh, actuaries and, and other related insurance individuals to build models within. Um, it's a really interesting concept, really interesting business, and it's got some great traction out there. This is a good pod a really good pod and um i enjoyed doing it um we had a few technical difficulties at the front end so uh, the sound's not as good as it should be but that's entirely my fault um but i really enjoyed this and i think you will too so this is amrit from hyper exponential good morning and welcome to the leadership insurance podcast um we're in 2021, um, very lucky to be joined by Amrit of Hyper Exponential. Um, we've had some massive uh, tech difficulties on my side, so I'm gonna apologize. Um, Amrit has already been through some motion sickness while I adjust the camera, which is uh, playing off my phone. So if there's any recording issues, um, I'm gonna blame the technology and not the fact that I'm incredibly adept at doing it. But um, with that massive caveat aside, good morning, Amrit, and how are you? Hi, Alex, I'm really well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for sitting through the tech setup. But um, um, hyper exponential. So a um, couple of actuaries really interested in data science um, go off and, and this is the sort of business you come up with. Right. So um, I wondered if you'd be kind enough to kind of walk us through hyper exponential, what you guys do and um, the purpose of the business. Sure thing. Sure thing. So at our core, what HX does is we're building a platform to help insurers, mainly in the specialty place at the moment. Uh, make better data-driven decisions, right? So Michael and I, my co-founder and I, uh, we've been in the industry, the specialty insurance industry for more than 15 years now, uh, spent a lot of time um, in that industry working as pricing actuaries. So helping underwriters, insurance companies use data to calculate prices. Mm -hmm. um, I think the phrase pricing in insurance is uh, particularly in the specialty sector is a little bit of a misnomer. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like car insurance where, you know, there's a, a, there's a really well-known price because there's tons of data um, uh, to perform analysis on, you know, the claims and the, the world of kind of cars driving around and uh, um, crashing. Um, uh, so, you know, there's no perfect price. Uh, and the second thing is actually um, often the, the, the case is that people want to do much more than just mm -hmm. come up with a number when they do pricing. So, you know, we don't call ourselves a pricing company. It's data-driven decision-making. Um, yeah, we build a SaaS platform. Uh, it's called Renew. 
uh, used by very large and very small insurers to uh, support them in their data-driven decision-making. And we've been doing that for about three years now. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. There's, there's, there's got a few bits and pieces in there that I want to unpack. Um, I, I want to start with that thing on the specialty lines. You know, it almost sounds to me that you're leaving a bit of room for creativity. You know, pricing is not just, it's not all science, it's all, not, not all numbers. There's a bit of creative thinking goes into it, um, which what makes it different. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a really. Uh, it, it's definitely a. Uh, you you should help us with our marketing because that's a much cooler way of saying <laughs> it than I would. Um, but I think it's absolutely the case that you know when you don't have a lot of data or your data is you know we call it small, sparse, and fragmented. Yeah, rather than massive reams of data that, that you do in some of the more personal personal conventional lines of insurance. Uh, there's a lot more judgment. There's a lot more creativity. There's a lot more. A um, lot fewer rules that would use, right, to come up with the price. And I think one of the things that we try to do at HX is to build a platform that helps our users who are predominantly underwriters, actuaries and underwriters, um, take their data and make, make better use of it. Um, and so creativity is definitely um, uh, a very nice word for it. You know, flexibility is a key thing, I think we would say. You know, making sure that you can take advantage of all the data um, uh, that sits around us today. You know, even in the specialty sector, you know, there's not as much data, but it's increasing every single day, the volumes of data. Mm. Uh, mm. And to use, you know, creative, clever ways uh, uh, of analysing it as well. You know, mm. we, I always used to joke with my uh, analysts who, when I worked as an actuary in the markets, uh, that I was broadly teaching them the same things that I'd been learned 15 years ago. Um, well, that's sad, really, you know. Yeah. The, the, the global specialty industry is $220 billion. Uh, there's yeah. definitely room for a lot more. Uh, and better, but more creative. I'm going to use that now. Use of the uh, uh, use of the data. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's the creativity. I mean, I think that's when you look at it from a kind of science perspective, don't you? I mean, that good science is, you know, applying what you know and then making kind of leaps of faith or leaps of creativity to kind of come up with the the next best answer. And and I think there's always this view of science that it's not creative, but it's it's you know it's one of the most creative kind of things you can look at and, and maths is just a language to explain um you know the, the, the thing most concisely so um yeah i think it's, it's it, there's an obvious kind of room for creativity in in pricing when there's the gap the gap in knowledge um do you i, I like the fact that you guys didn't cheat either because there's, there's a lot of um there's a lot of actuaries um, that have just rebranded themselves as data scientists without really applying any new skills but um you went back to did you you went back to school and did some computer science or, or is that computer uh, science you've been there? Yeah, so actually before I was an actuary, I studied software engineering computer science at university. Uh, so yeah, it's a good point about the cheating thing. I think it's very easy for the actuaries who've studied software engineering to dine out on this a little bit and call yeah. themselves uh, uh, data scientists. Um, yeah. yeah, so we started, you know, Michael and I and HX's kind of core. We're an engineering firm. We were com computer scientists before we were actuaries. Definitely. Right. Um, I mean, I studied computer science uh, around the time of the dot-com kind of bubble bursting. So at the time, you know, I thought like a total fool when I graduated that it was a bad idea to become a software engineer, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, which is definitely absolutely wrong. Uh, my first prediction, one of many predictions as an actor I've made that was wrong. Um, um, but yeah, you know, um, certainly got that very strong software engineering background and we've applied throughout our whole careers, which I think was probably how we ended up setting up HX. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I think there is definitely a blurring of boundaries between data scientists and actuaries. 
definitely more so more so the actuaries wanting to be the data scientists and the data scientists want to be the actuaries um but it's absolutely a bit of incredibly useful skill to have mm. you know a very strong technological foundations part of what hx is trying to do is to make it easier actually for actuaries and technical people in insurance companies to use those technical um skills you know we're mm. trying to dem- democratize some of those technical skills huge amounts of open source high quality freely available well community supported easy to learn deeply powerful technology out there that you know a, 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 a bunch of smart cookies like actuaries tend to be can use uh, mm. and, and then they won't be cheating so much maybe no no that's very true i, I mean i i i know i know that there's a question that i'm just going to leave ahead to that i had written down which is like, you know how important is that kind of open source thinking to kind of pushing the boundaries and, and the evolution of insure tech and the insurance market because you know it, it points to the, what we were talking about just now in that the the gap in knowledge is provided by you don't have enough information and, and open source is by definition kind of the sharing of knowledge um seems to me that that's key to kind of really taking insurance to where we want to go yeah i think that's a really good insight one that's not talked about a lot i mean i'm a little bit biased here because renew is a platform that exposes large amounts of open source <laughs> technology <all> right. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I think it's critical um uh, i think it's actually going to be the only way in the long term that insurance can keep pace with the incredible uh technological kind of boom that we're seeing across all industries in the world at the moment um enterprise technology is, has historically been incredibly proprietary you know that's not just in our sector i mean you know our competitors and most of the people in the space that we play in sell very proprietary solutions and i'm not going to pretend that renew is an open source completely open source product right it's not um but uh, enterprise technology has historically been very proprietary and as soon as you set up technology that you know i always used to joke that kind of 15 people in the world know about you know uh, it can be really great for the companies who sell that software if they get a good base of users but it can be really hard for the actual uh, clients who want to you know in this day and age we google our way to many solutions mm. yeah you want if you have a problem in your life right i i had a child recently um you know i spent my like trying to google my way to many of the solutions for that right watching youtube videos on how to change nappies uh, <laughs> uh, at the beginning you know but where 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 a generation now that try to uh, use the internet and use the kind of um the vast uh, vastly sea of, of of knowledge out there to help ourselves it's very hard to do that with proprietary tech um mm. and that was one of our big motivations for making sure that you know if you want to uh, sorry to be boring for a moment you want to do a v lookup in our system yeah uh, the equivalent of a lookup table in excel is that you can go google your way to do that you don't need to spend pay someone you know 250 pounds an hour to tell you how to do it mm. um and i think you know if you look at most of the uh big uh, the sectors that leverage um uh, technology right at the cutting edge you know the ones that are well known banking retail you know huge amounts of open source technology um huge amounts of open source technology that's been created by the likes of you know JP Morgan and other companies like that that then then push back into the uh, community um so yeah i think we've got a long way to go we're doing trying to do our our little bit mm-hmm. um uh, i think you can expect to see hx uh making contributions towards the open source tech community directly uh over the next year and uh, and beyond we think that's it's absolutely critical yeah no i agree and and, and yeah it's not something that 
you know, when I started on this journey of, of podcasting, and I, I know you're a fellow podcaster, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question about that in a bit. Um, I think it's just is it, the best thing about talking to people is that you, it's much easier for me to understand trends. You know, it's it's that, it's that classic thing of it's much easier to ask someone a question than um, almost counter to what we've just been saying in a way. If you want to understand something, it's much nicer to get someone who's an expert and ask some questions than, than try and Google and put, put it all together yourself. But I think you're right. If there's a specific piece of knowledge you're lacking, then you can Google your way to it. Uh, to the point where I'm not even worried about dementia anymore. As long as Google doesn't forget, I'll be fine. Um, but, I mean, I, I joke because I, just, I don't know about you, but I've realised that I don't remember anything now. And, and I know there's some evidence out there to say that people's brains have changed in the way that we hold information um, we don't we don't hold the information anymore but we we hold the way to get to it um, which sadly has one answer which is google it <laughs> indeed indeed you can see why they're one of the most valuable uh, companies in the world and i think you know that's a very broad sweeping uh, much bigger challenge in insurance the way technology has changed the way you know what's useful to have as skills uh, you know in the world now you know, rote learning and memorization were a critical part, even in, you know, you don't need to go that far, you know, five to 10 years ago, uh, uh, having those skills at your fingertips uh, without needing to look them up, you know, even as an actuary, there were certain things that if you knew off the top of your head, they were really useful. That's changed now. Uh, and, you know, that motivates lots of things, you know, in the design of solutions, whether they be technological or otherwise, to help people, um, you know, in business, right? You, you need to, to think a little bit about what they need and what they don't. And, you know, an example for us in that would be, you know, building really good documentation. Mm. You know, I feel like I almost don't want to talk about it because it's the sort of thing that's a comparative advantage for us. Um, however, um, you know, we obsess about documentation, right? Because simple fact is people don't need to memorize stuff now. They can go look it up quickly and you can make it easy for them to do those sorts of things, then they can be productive and happy and get on with their day jobs. Mm. Mm, no, you, you, yeah, that's so that's so right. And um, I, do you think it's well that I think the way that people are valuing, not valuing, judging their their kind of software choices or or even tech and service choices, is on how it's more about how it interrelates with other software and other services. So you know, I, I've just been for the process of, of choosing a new CRM system for for me as a recruiter. But when I started in recruitment. CRM system was was really an advanced filing cabinet, but it was your competitive advantage because because you didn't have this is how old I am you didn't have LinkedIn it didn't exist so so other than these kind of job boards where you could advertise and harvest kind of um, CVs etc you because uh, didn't have GDPR either so that was a <laughs> <laughs> so you could hold that in forever um, but you didn't have these kind of services and other platforms but now you do. My whole question mark is how easily, how quickly do they interrelate with all these other bits of, and it's not just LinkedIn, it's, you know, things related to my phone system, it's related to other bits of communication. Um, it's essential that they all work seamlessly. Um, and, and that's actually the sole way I judge them. I'm, I'm not really interested in, because the stuff that's like, oh, is it a very good repository for holding and, and, and sorting through information? I take that as a given what's the challenge is how how well does it relate to the other technology uh, yeah absolutely and i think this is a really fascinating um uh, a challenge or dichotomy that we're seeing played out in the broader technology world but in insurance as well you know i think um the idea of a monolith a single system that deals with everything versus best of breed in an ecosystem i mean you look at lloyd's and the blueprint too, and uh, the future at Lloyd's strategy, which is pushing the ecosystem 
of technology um, really heavily. Um, it's not just kind of individual companies that are, are, are operating this way. It's the whole market. So, yeah, I think, you know, we're going, we're, we, this is probably almost old news now, but we've been seeing a shift for the, in the last, you know, five years or so away from these big monolithic systems where you can buy, you know, something that's just about good enough at everything um, mm. to things that are really, really great at individual um, uh, solving individual problems. And, you know, everyone has a slightly different config configuration of challenges and problems that they see as important. And the best of breed system allows you to assemble those components in proportion to your own needs. Mm -hmm. I, you know, despite being obviously a, a huge uh, believer uh, and promoter of the best of breed solution, I think one of the things, challenges we see in, uh, with our clients is data engineering and architecting all of these bits, plugging them together. It's a skill. It's a skill and it's a kind of, it's, a, um, it's almost a team by itself. Mm. We often see people adopting a best of breed uh, uh, landscape. Uh, not necessarily our clients, because our clients tend, to, you know, as an early stage business, we tend to get uh, engaged with clients who are a little bit more progressive and think about this stuff a bit more. But we see um, uh, uh, slightly more traditional insurers trying to move towards a modern ecosystem approach without having the resource uh, available to how they configure and assemble that ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, a, a really interesting challenge. I, I think I, I don't see us moving towards i mean again i would say this uh, but i don't see us moving towards the monolithic systems uh, of old i don't know many people who use big old monoliths in their uh, systems that are um, particularly happy no i think i think that's it i think the only people still sort of stuck with them is, is the challenge of getting away from that and, you know but that in it's that in itself answers the question about whether they're a good idea because if it's a if it's a if it's a challenge to get out of that, um, you know, we, we live in a world where you should be interchangeably, you know, that's that's one of my hates against Apple, you know, like if you, if you can't get out of that ecosystem, then, then that's a bad business, you know, um, but, well, it's, bad, it's good business for them, it's bad business for me, is what I want to say. Um, I was, so, you know, so the business is about three years old, um, you are both successful guys. Oh. The, cla the classic of using the phone to record, it's really because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so busy. Um, so, uh, what I wanted to ask you is that um, why three years ago, why, why was that the time? Um, or was it that, you know, HX became a real idea and, and therefore the idea came? Or was it just we want to do something and this is the time to do it? Uh, really good question. So um, I always like the phrase, you know, uh, the best time was 20 years ago. The second best time is now, yeah. right? Um, so, so, so I would say a couple of things. Um, HX has been the, I've had the idea for a system, you know, for 10 years or so, because right. I'm mainly motivated by the fact that everything I've seen in the market just wasn't designed for the needs and requirements of our, um, uh, of, of I say our clients, but me when I was a, back in the back in the day. Yeah. Um, so what motivated me back back then was actually when I, ten years ago I always suspected that this was true. But ten years ago I was more junior, working on the front line as an actuary, and I thought, you know what, I just haven't found the right piece of technology yet. Three or four years ago, I ended up being the head of pricing, Tokyo Marine Kill, one of the largest managing agents at Lloyd's, uh, clean slate. Uh, management buy-in, all the ingredients required 
to test the hypothesis, actually, is it true that there is no technology out there that meets our needs? And I actually made the assumption, actually, that, you know, I just haven't found it yet. Um, at TMK, spent a lot of time trying the solutions on the market, trying experiments, building it ourselves. And basically, I realized that this was being a massively neglected sector in the market. So, you know, and as soon as I had that, I actually had that very cheesy eureka moment. I was kind of like, someone's got to do something about this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hold on. It's me. You know, software engineering, actuarial, you know, been in the market, head of pricing, understand it. You know, don't get me wrong, still really difficult, uh, massively naive as to how, you know, what, what I thought uh, I was taking on versus what I actually was taking on. Um, but yeah, so to answer your question, um, I assumed that we wouldn't be needed for seven years uh, and then actually realized very quickly that we would be needed. And, you know, we have a way of doing things that's not the same as our competitors. They have a way of doing things. Uh, people buy their software, people buy, buy our, our software. But I really firmly believe that, you know, the way we're going about our business uh, is going to be the right solution in the long term. So it wasn't difficult, uh, actually, at the time. No. Did you, because you, you've just had a, you mentioned you just had a child, because that's what your podcast is about, isn't it? Being a founder and a father, uh, a new father. Yes. Um, so just just the one? or Just the one, sorry. Yeah, so you can see the, the life of a founder. I'm currently working <laughs> in my kitchen with my gym gear on one side and my baby's uh, toys on the other. Yeah, so I had my first child, Evie, uh, a year ago. She's 13 months now. Oh, nice. Um uh, yeah, so that was uh, fun. You know, I think uh, having when I set up HX, it felt like felt like my first child in a very different way, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, obviously having Evie now, I have two children. One's much more important. Evie is much more important. Yeah. Uh, 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 the, although they're both very important and both very big parts of my life. Uh, and it's been a really you can probably hear her now on cue. She's starting to uh, smash things. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, uh, um, but, um, you know, it, it was actually really interesting to think about the learnings and challenges that I've had of setting up a business uh, mm. with the learnings and challenging of, challenge, challenges of, of, of uh, having a child. Uh, you know, they're both things that you think you can, you, you know, you have an idea of what you think you're going to do. And then it comes along and it's completely different. And you realize that there's no rule book, and no right way or wrong way. And they're incredibly important and you're responsible for them. Um, yeah. So that's what motivated me to set up my podcast. Yeah, it's called Startup Dads. Uh, Startup. Yeah, the, the the highs and lows of running a business uh, and growing a family at the same time. That's what it's yeah, like. I, I mean, I think that's because I think that question is really interesting for everyone. It is always about you know why now because I think you know I I, I mentioned to you that, that my 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 favourite thing at the moment is that they say everyone's got one good book in them. Everyone in insurance seems to currently think they've got one good insure tech in them, um, <laughs> and uh, and that may or may not be true, but. Um, but the big, the big challenge is that insurance, you know, if you're senior in insurance, it's a well-paid industry. It's a, it's a good lifestyle. Um, it's, 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 good, it's good fun. There's good people in the industry. Um, and you're not leaving that industry if you're going to go and start an insurtech. But, but going from that kind of very cosy lifestyle, you know, great buildings to work in, to the gyms, to, to setting up in the, in the kitchen between your gym equipment and, your, you know, the, 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 the baby stuff is is a very different leap and um you know timing is is kind of everything i think for that yeah no you're absolutely right and i think um you know it's a really interesting one i feel really grateful for the 15 years i had in the market you know i'm a huge fan of what the insurance markets do i think you know they're um an undervalued um mm. 
uh, aspect of the financial sector. And the, the, the industry is working hard to try and change that. We've got a long way to go, but we are um, uh, working very hard to change that. It, it's definitely, uh, timing is everything. Um, and you don't get me wrong, you know, uh, I, I earn the British minimum wage now. Um, compared to the, the head of pricing salary that I used to a few years ago. Um, mm. But I think the reality of the situation is when you're a founder, um, if you have an idea, I, I really like there's a, um, um, a really good uh, um, talk uh, online by a guy called Dustin Muscovitz. He's the uh, founder of Asana. I don't know if you know the, the, the project management productivity suite, Asana. Yeah. He's ex-Facebook. Um, his share of Facebook turned out to make him a billionaire by himself. Um, yeah. uh, and he, uh, he founded Asana. And he talks about, you set up a startup, you know, the only right reason to set up a startup is because you have to do it. Not because mm. you want the fame, the glory, the money, because there's none of that. There's no fame, glory or money for several years. Right? HX is doing absolutely great. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that I don't have much of any of those things. Um, but what I do have is a, a really great opportunity to build a really great business that I feel like I have to do. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is my biggest motivation now that HX is past, you know, touch with the kind of early stage infant mortality phase of uh, phase of a business without yeah. wanting to jinx it is, is my motivation is to make the business uh, and our contributions to our clients uh, and the market as big as, uh, as impactful and as, uh, as useful as they can be. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, if your motivation is anything but, to actually make the business great it's not very easy it, it's it would be a it can be a really miserable slog running a business because none of those other bits come for quite a while yeah yeah i, I remember that i so i've worked myself and at one point i had a team but um i remember the um that moment i i, I did one of my most most senior placements ever big global role um first time I'd done anything of that scale working for myself I'd, I'd always done it working for and then I, I sort of I, I filled it and the person accepted and resigned it looked up and I kind of wanted that bell ringing moment because that's what we do someone to high five and I was just on my own in the office I'd rented I was like oh just better keep going then you know back at it next one yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that yeah, and um, yeah, there's not there's not the glory you think there might be. Um, you just have to get some intrinsic value out of it, I think, and, and you have to, yeah, you have to really want it because because you're making your life you're making your life harder. Like that's fundamentally yeah. what you're doing. Um, yeah. And yeah, there might be future gains and goals, but I think if you're doing it, I would say to you, if you're doing it just for money, there's easier ways to do it. You know, definitely. Go back to insurance and, and you know get that get that promotion, and they probably do that. Absolutely. I mean, the reality of running your own business, as you know, right, is that you know if you want the path to the most likely path to a lot of money, then putting that effort, putting two thirds of the effort that you have to do into your own business into your, your career, is easily yeah. the most likely way to get the success uh, yeah. uh, that, that that you want. Um, yeah. But if your motivation is, you know, the the fun and the, the the finding great teammates or partners or people you work with building something great then there's nothing like it um, yeah and the no, same I thing applies to family life I think yeah I, I, I totally agree so um you obviously start with the co-founder um I've noticed online that you have the CEO title and and, and they are sort of chief product officer or head of Michael's product. the chief product officer yeah yeah um how do you make that decision on, on who takes which role and, and you know 
Yeah, uh, it was really easy. So I suppose Michael's my co-founder. He's my longtime friend. You know, we've worked together and we often joke that what would we do without HX? Well, probably whiskey, cricket, gigs, all the stuff that we actually used to do because we're mates. Um, uh, So I suppose it's one of those things that Michael and I have known each other for 10 years. Uh, You know, um, it's the sort of thing that you don't build a friendship and relationship like that uh, overnight. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Michael is the uh, critical cog in the HX machine that no one knows about or sees because he just keeps his head down and helps us build a really brilliant product. Um, uh, so Michael, if you listen to this, make sure you, uh, you're you grateful for the uh, uh, the plug I'm giving you. Um, uh, uh, um, but, um, uh, you know, how do we choose responsibilities? I, I mean, we know each other very well. We know our strengths and weaknesses. Uh, that was really, really easy. You know, uh, the CEO and CPO titles, their titles, you're a co-founder in the business. Your job is to do whatever is needed, yeah, to keep the business going. So you know, yeah, I, sure. I closed. I never. I I always remember on our. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going an amateur way of answering your question, but I will get there at the end. But I remember closing our seed round and then taking out the the bins in the evening. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So you know, as, as co-founders, you do whatever is needed. Michael's strengths are very, very clearly on the product development side of things, and my strengths are a little bit more on the application, the business side of things. So really, really easy. Um, it was a sort of thing that what didn't really need a discussion, uh, actually. I don't think all businesses who start, particularly if you don't have a, a natural co-founder before, it, it's as easy. For us, you know, we knew our strengths and weaknesses. And we recently did this, uh, the Belvin test. You familiar with these personality tests that you yeah, use to yeah, kind yeah. of... And, you know, Michael and I, you can put us just on, op- they break it down into quadrants. And Michael and I are just on two completely opposite parts uh, yeah. of the, uh, um, uh, um, uh, of, of those, uh, of the circle. Um, mm. So it was, yeah, sorry. So that's a bit of a cop-out answer. It was really easy. Uh, we didn't really have to draw straws. Uh, we no. both do the bits that we love doing. Uh, and the reality of the situation is as a co-founder that I do bits of Michael's job sometimes. Michael does bits of my job sometimes, and we also do bits of the jobs that are nothing to do with the CEO or CPO title on a very regular basis because we're a small, uh, fast-growing business, and you do what's needed to do. No, I'm, it's not a cop-out answer. I think it's generally the answer. I'm, I'm, I think where there's where there's challenges is where um, it's a bit like those boy bands that get put put together, manufactured um, artificially. Like that's where you see ruptures. I think if you Work, particularly if you've worked together before, um, I think there is a natural kind of fit into stuff. Um, it's a bit different in my world because you've got a bunch of salespeople in a room going, who should be CEO? And they all think they should be. Um, but um, I, funnily enough, I know it shouldn't be me because I did a personality test, which was about leadership. And um, I have to, to quote that, I have less than average leadership potential. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news, Alex, is that you are the the at the top, the bottom and the average in your team, right? If you were Exactly. Uh, exactly. That's, so, the, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. So um, uh, that always cracks me up. Uh, it was, I was there on a course how to have to learn how to administer and, and analyze um, these personalities tests for leadership so uh, I did this and we had to do one on ourselves and I was like that's the most depressing thing uh, I wouldn't mind but I paid about two grand to be there <laughs> I, I mean the only thing I'd say to that and maybe it's only slightly uh, related is that leadership is a really it's a funny word right and there are so many things involved in making a business very successful um, and I think 
one of these things that people don't realize, and I didn't realize this at the beginning, right, is that building a really great product um, uh, yeah, or leading a team to build a really great product is a tiny part of what it takes to make a successful business. Leadership is really important and it's a critical factor. Don't get me wrong. It's probably the most mm-hmm. important factor uh, in an executive's job, right? In of a startup or, or a uh, established business, but there are lots and lots of other bits, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, are required to make the business work. I, it reminds me of, you know, an underwriter. Um, uh, he's, he's the CEO of a company now. Um, told me that, you know, he's an underwriter himself. He said, underwriters in insurance think that, um, often tend to think that, you know, uh, underwriting is the only thing you need to make an insurance company. Um, and he's, this is an underwriter saying this to me. I don't believe this, right, of course. Um, uh, and he said, but the reality of the situation is, right, that you, you don't have an insurance company without underwriting. We also don't have an insurance company without all the other functions. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and it's, the, the same thing applies, I think, to principles of, you know, there are lots of there are lots leadership means lots of things I, i'm always reminded of um there's a economic historian called um Rutger Bregman, i think uh, he's he's the guy that spoke at davos and told them um he made headlines because he kind of criticized everyone for being there and talking about charity and they turned up in private jets um <laughs> but um he in history um i think it was the bin men of new york went on strike and 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 Basically, they wanted extra pay and better conditions, and and the city lasted two weeks before it crumbled and, and gave them uh, what they wanted. Um, and then historically, in Ireland, um, some bankers went on strike, um, and they were on strike for over a year, and then they ended up just going back to work because um, uh, everyone just kind of found alternatives. So um, I think I'm really sort of it's important to kind of sit back and look at that as an example of the value is not always where you think it is in a business. You know, it, it, it'd be great. You can write all the business you like, but if no one's on credit control getting the money in the door and then the, the business crumbles, for example. Um, uh, you know. uh, uh, exactly, exactly yeah. that. And I think this is something we talk a lot about at HX is to see HX as a system. Yeah, and not to optimise. You have to have very critical goals for individuals in that system, but your overall goal is to optimise the system, not the uh, not the individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about um, investment because you, you obviously started the business with, 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 with some investment. Um, why did you take that specific decision? Um, what were there alternatives? Could, could you have potentially bootstrapped it? And, and what made you kind of go down that yeah. path? Uh, it's a really good question. So, yeah, we did take some investment, uh, investment from trade investors, so in, insurance companies and senior professionals in the insurance market. Um, two parts to that. So could we have bootstrapped it? Possibly, actually, if I look with perfect hindsight through our financials and the really great start that we've had as business. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible uh, that you can uh, that we could have bootstrapped it. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is, you know, you want to have people who uh, are whose interests are aligned with yours. And our goal has always been to build a really, really great product. Uh, and therefore, having investors, you know, whether they be venture backed or trade investors, gives you accountability yeah, mm. to growing uh, and uh, building a really, really great product. So those two things go absolutely hand in hand. I don't really necessarily subscribe to this idea that, you know, only venture investors can help you grow and only trade investors can help you build, it, build a, uh, 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 a really great product. I think those things are much more closely related. Um, mm. So yeah, to answer your question, could we have bootstrapped it? Possibly. Is it really useful to have uh, a group of people in the market who, to whom you're accountable? 
a group of people who are credible and respected, particularly in our own industry, which is still, you know, whenever we take HX to market and it's, we've got a potential client who's interested, who's using it? Yeah. You know, that's the first question that yeah, gets yeah. asked. You know, not what's the feature set, what can it do? You know, yeah. give me some examples of deliveries. Just give me the name of who's using it, right? Yeah. Um, and for us, you know, getting off the ground, you know, in an industry that, you know, where we're the smallest by a, probably an order of magnitude and the newest by probably a decade, um, mm -hmm. or, or close to that, um, having some uh, a vote of confidence from some individuals and corporation that are in the market was really, really useful for us. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is time horizon, right? Investment allows you to plan over a longer, longer time horizon. And, you know, we, we didn't take a large investment round, you know, uh, by most people's standards, it would, you know, this day and age, it's a, you know, uh, you know a fraction of what would be taken as, as, as a seed round. Um, but that allowed us to focus on building, building a good product. And, you know, our goal is to be here in the long term. Yeah, our goal is to be compoundingly adding value to our clients every year. And yeah. you can't do that if you can only build over, you know, uh, to win that next sale or to, you know, to add that feature to make just, you know, the first client you've got happy. A difficult trade-off. I'm not suggesting that you can't bootstrap your way to it. Um, finding the right amount of investment at any one time is one of the number number one challenges for uh, a CEO, CEO kind of co-founder mm -hmm. to have. Um, so yeah, so uh, um, you know, for us, it was about planning, credibility, um, uh, and focus. I think were the key things. Yeah. No, I, I, I I'm sort of ambivalent about it. I think. I think bootstrapping is great. Um, it's something that I've really pushed and I'd be full of it if I didn't say that because I've said it on the podcast before. Um, but but within sensible limits, I think if you're, particularly if you're building a piece of software, if you're building something that is, you want to be proactively innovating that software and you don't want to be wait hand and mouth for it. Um, but there's, there's a balancing act between taking too much because it's the most expensive equity you ever give away if you ever give it away, um, taking too little that you've given away that equity but you haven't taken enough money to get to where you want to go. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. But I, I do like this idea as well. I mean, one of my friends has launched a very successful fintech and um, he said one of the most important things for him was hiring people because he went, he was on his own for a long time and he said, now I've got people that I'm responsible to. Um, and it was that funny thing of he was the boss, but he felt responsible to them because, you know, he'd hired them in. Um, and absolutely. Just, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, um, the, 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 the most common myth, I think, of being a CEO or a founding CEO, founder-led, uh, uh, CEO or founder-led company is that everyone works for you. Yeah. Mm. When you run a business, that's absolutely not true. I work for everyone. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, by definition, you know, in that it's my job to fill the gaps in any any area. But also these people have come into a business that, you know, I mean, we are a profitable growing, growing concern business now. But at the very beginning, when HX wasn't, you know, you know, I make the wrong strategic decisions and these people don't they lose their livelihoods. And these are smart, top tier people. Right. The people who could be working at Google, Facebook, you know, uh, um, helping out some of our team are, you know, doing things on the cutting edge of well, um, what's possible in technology. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a strong motivator. Yeah, you've got to keep them employed. Um, yeah, yeah. that's not a challenge for us anymore, but it certainly focuses the mind. Yeah. So what's the journey been like? Um, you, 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 you have been very successful. And, and actually, uh, you, we've, we've got a mutual friend of the podcast, um, who I'll say off air, but he said, um, um, he said you guys have done incredibly well and, and, and it's been a sort of a great journey. Um, 
what do you think's been behind that? Um, is it specifically the product um, and, and how do you sort of keep that momentum? Yeah, good question. So I'm gonna be very honest with you. Uh, it's definitely, it's the product through and through. It's definitely not, you know, spectacular business acumen for me or the co-founders because <laughs> um, we are actuaries through and through. Um, and, you know, uh, I think we've only succeeded because we are focused on solving and we are laser focused on this and we always will be, certainly while I'm at the helm, on solving the very, very uh, real, unsolved or poorly solved in the market, you know, and we're at the beginning. We've not solved it perfectly yet either. Problem of helping our clients make better decisions with data. Uh, yeah. That's what we do. We haven't pivoted. We haven't changed what we do. We've been building, you know, fast, but thoughtfully and, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, single-mindedly or focused towards solving this problem. Uh, and when people look at our product, uh, you know, um, it's the one that best solves this problem for our clients. Uh, and that's what, how we have, uh, we've occasionally won deals that have been, you know, sufficiently big where both parties have been scratching their heads as to how we ended up winning the deal and they ended up choosing, you know, uh, choosing us. And it's because our product solves the problem that our competitors don't. Um, and that's how I think uh, we've, we've succeeded so far. Um, I think for us, growth now is going to be building around the kernel of that product and building the right processes to uh, allow us to service many more clients. Uh, we don't have a sales team at HX. Yeah, uh, we've got we're a whatever it is, twenty-person company with you know a very, very, very good revenue base uh, that's growing very fast, and we have no sales team. Uh, is you, a one example. You're going to be the UK's Atlassian. Never. never. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I read a lot about Atlassian. I think I naively uh, at the beginning I liked the idea of not having a sales team when I, because I'm a, because I'm an actuary and I don't really I never really understood sales and now yeah. I understand sales a lot better because I what I realised is that if you don't have a sales team I have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, and that was a, and that's terrible for all parties involved. Um, you know, uh, Atlassian a, fan, a fascinating case study. Um, the factors going into that the market timing, uh, their sales strategy that they've set up, the, the developer, individual de developer orientation that they had, fascinating recipe. Um, we will have a sales team at some point. Um, but, you know, I think what we're doing now, you know, to build on our success is just to put the processes in place that a, a, a scaling up business, you know, needs. Um, but we've absolutely succeeded entirely due to being a product that solves our clients' needs. And, you know, we are one of our clients. <laughs> the ultimate compliment I think I got from them is that you argue a lot with us, but you deliver what you say you're going to do. Uh, so, you know, what do, you know, why have we succeeded? We tell the truth, not what our clients want to hear. Sometimes we don't win deals because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's been hard for us, yeah, actually, because I've definitely been cases where I know that if I didn't tell the truth or I flexed the parameters, says the actuary, so that I could say, uh, give them a kind of a different answer, then, you know, we'd probably win, win more. Um, we actually really focus on our, on our clients' needs. Um, uh, and actually, we plan over a long time horizon. So, you know, we're building towards something that's going to be much more valuable next year than it is, you know, an order of magnitude more valuable next year than it, than it is this year. And that same thing applies to the way HX was uh, this year versus last year, last year versus the year before. Uh, and we can demonstrate that. Uh, to our clients um, but yeah definitely nothing to do with me uh, uh, mainly my uh, amazing team who've built an absolutely fantastic product that we're really really proud of 
Yeah, I'm sure you're too modest, but I do I do understand that as well. And um, I, I feel your pain on the telling the truth. I, I pitched for a piece of work the other day, which I'm pretty sure I haven't won. And, um, it was simply because I was asked about the time horizons and I said, I said how long I thought it would take. And uh, I was told, oh, the other company ranks will take half the time. And, and I, <laughs> I had to very bluntly, in my very subtle Essex manner, go, well, then they don't know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> Completely. Completely. You know, it, was just, it was just 15 years of experience going, well, this will take X amount of time. And, and I appreciate that someone, you, you can buy what you want to hear or you can buy the truth. And I, I'd rather sit the truth and, and, and over time be justified as correct. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I'm conscious of time. So I, I wanted to get to this uh, slightly spicy question that um, uh, we, we, we sort of talked about. Um, you work in a tech company, specialty market, lots of talk about modernization, innovation. Um, everyone loves a bit of talking about blueprint to all, all this sort of stuff. Lots of innovation talk. Um, why are we seeing so little action? Um. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. It's the one that I reflect on a huge amount. Um, so the way I would say this is I think there's loads of action uh, in a small pocket, a small area. I think, you know, you look at the class of 2020, um, you look at the new players in the markets, you know, the likes of Convex, a very dear client of ours, um, no legacy. By definition, yeah, they're starting with a blank slate. And I think this is something that it can't be oversold, is that someone who doesn't have any legacy, A, is starting with modern technology now, and B, doesn't have the weight of legacy technology around the next. It's a really highly leveraged thing. Yeah. yeah? Um, so, but I think it's been incredibly difficult for uh, incumbents to move away from the really organically grown, very fragmented mix of proprietary and open technology, um, uh, lack of kind of technology operating model um, into the horizon kind of, the, you know, uh, the, you know, look at, to look at the horizon where we are now, right? Um, horizon and where we, even where we are now. Um, so I think you've got people who are modern insurers without a, 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 a legacy doing really, really innovative things. You know, they're almost frustrated themselves at where they are. And I look at what they've done. I'm like, you're really OK. It's not perfect, but yeah, you should see what some of your friends are doing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that's that, that's one side. The other thing I would say is, you know, most insurance companies set up even 10 years ago. Technology was almost it was part of the operations team or it was a. Uh, operational adjunct to the core business yeah that's not the case now yeah most companies in some way shape or form you know our double digit percentage of their value yeah is technology and at the very top level they, they see that and they structure themselves as such and it's not a service you know it's a core um and that's really hard to pivot it's really hard to pivot you know to have your to have the board the top tier you know who's not who many many of the board members won't necessarily be tech centric you know, in these companies, because if you think of the average lifetime of these companies, you know, people who have been there, they're, you know, 30, 40 years, some of these board members, you know, yeah. um, that's a mindset that's not going to happen. It's like, that's just not going to change. Yeah. So I think we're going to see lots and lots of this talk. And I think people coming to market now with an imperative to be, you know, much more modern and technological, they will be. Um, and they will set themselves up organizationally to be more tech centric and they mm -hmm. won't have legacy. 
And that leverage is, you know, without exaggeration, it's 10x minimum. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of, of the budget of the, you know, more traditional incumbents is spent. The budget and headspace is spent on old tech and, yeah. and keeping the lights on, you know. Yeah. Um, and by definition, it's zero. Yeah. At some of these companies. So that leverage is it's massive. It's massive. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think what I would say there is it is going to change, but it's going to come in. It's going to be very, very skewed. It's going to be to use that, that phrase used in investment, a kind of barbell investment strategy, right? Where you've got some uh, um, companies that are doing it all in and then the rest of them are unfortunately all out or almost all, all, all out. Um, yeah. It's going to be hard for modern companies to change. Yeah. Older I, companies to change. I have a lot of empathy for them, um, but I, I, I do think a lot of it sits with, yeah, everything's about mindset and culture. And, and I think that's really challenging. You've got exactly, as you say, for 30, 40 years serving board members. But you've also got, if you're an incumbent business, which has got loads of these legacy sort of platforms, monolithic platforms, prop software that doesn't integrate and talk to each other. But if you're the CTO of that business, for example, um, and you your whole business has been maintaining those systems and that's that's why you're paid the big bucks to sit there um you won't necessarily want to go down a path of this new software that you potentially don't understand that you're not skilled for or make some of this redundant and 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 it's there's a lot to to do with that about fiefdoms and insurance is not unique in that and technology is not unique in that you see that within kind of underwriting you know why choose particular product lines and it will be someone's biases towards that um or looking at it a certain way i mean at the moment most people are diving into kind of um you know north american uh, dno that, that, that don't have a legacy and they're like well we haven't got any legacy losses so we're going to go diving into that and i'm, and I'm i question the logic on that right but but really what I'm speaking to is just that it's it's fiefdoms and culture and, and, and until some of these businesses, sadly, they're not going to make any moves until they evolve out their existing leadership structure um, to something more progressive. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really good analogy, a really interesting analogy. I haven't thought about that much myself, but I will do now about the difference between people, you know, who take on modern classes which are unproven. Yeah. And the mindset required to do that versus just writing a lot more you know like dnf property or whatever it is whatever where the markets are surging yeah and i think i suppose my point about the organizational structure is maybe it mirrors that point about culture my experience has been that you know you've got ctos or cios or heads of it that want to do more but they're very weighed down by the legacy but you're absolutely right fiefdoms are you know they're they're they're, they're not um uh, they're very common they're very common uh, uh in our uh, in our industry uh, or in our market um mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I think you're going to see the, you're going to see a very different way, or at least from based on our discussions with our clients and the way they want to go about their business. They want to trade differently. Yeah. yeah? They actually want to trade differently. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, in the next year or so, uh, you know, we want to play a part in this. If our clients, when they're trading, you know, if you're a broker and you bring a risk to market, yeah, and you trade with a modern insurer, and you trade with a, a, a traditional insurer. If you, I wonder how much of that will cause uh, a, a real change. Because actually, I think that will be the point at which the tide really goes out of some of the incumbents. When actually they're like, "Well, cool, here's my spreadsheet. I'll just throw it over to you like I used to." Yeah, and then you've got someone else who's like, "Just click that link, you know, and you'll get a dashboard, and it'll be ready 
you know, and yeah. it's wired, hardwired directly into our system. So write a comment or whatever you need. Yeah, and we'll see it straight away. And, it, you know, we make some changes, we make decisions and my centralized model is free updated. Um, mm. That will be it. That will be interesting. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of things on that. I mean, I, the ISINs, I, I think we forget about customers, particularly in, in B2B sectors. Um, there, there's, in insurance, there's a, there's a lot less focus on, you know, the broker as a customer, you know, for example. Um, yeah, until you kind of focus on that and kind of give people those, until there's a, as you say, until there's a massive differentiator and then you sort of start to say, well, why would I go and deal with this kind of spreadsheet when I can get this kind of slick interface that, that does a lot of work for me? Um, until you kind of make it, people have got to pay, right? It's got to be a pain point for them. It's got to be a pain point until it gets to be a pain point. If they continue to be successful as running legacy systems and legacy processes, then, then there's not an incentive to change. And, and actually, you can even say from a sort of leadership standpoint, that is also justifiable. You know, if you're making lots of money and good profit without changing, why do it? Completely. It's a legitimate strategy, right? And I think you're, you're seeing a really interesting point in the market right now where there are people we talk to. They're like, look, I've got spreadsheets. I'm happy with them. Mm. Yeah, I've got spreadsheets and databases. Yeah, it's no problem. It's what we do. We've done it for 20 years. And what's the cost versus what's the benefit? I, I think... Um, yeah, it's going to just going to it's going to be interesting when we see what the insurers can do in five years. Well, not even five years, in two or three years, mm. the insurers uh, that are coming to market now. Because when I look at what they want to do and our part that we have to play, I'm very very excited about you know I speak candidly about just how much easier their lives are going to be. Yeah, you know, having been the actuary, you know, having been variously been the analyst data monkey all the way up to decision maker, having to deal with the consequences of systems that like, you know, spreadsheets and databases, the old school ones, you know, um, uh, and the time and cost and effort and, you know, inertia and all of those things. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, when the, you know, the difference in how they feel now, you know, why would I bother within how they'll feel in two or three years if the market does it right. If they, yeah. you know, if these new innovators come and do it and we've got a long way to go. Um, I, you know, HX, I, we all have a long way to go to, to, to realise that that vision. Yeah, yeah. No, I knew I shouldn't have opened that can of words right at the end, but um, I'm, I'm glad Sorry. we got to talk about it. No, 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 I'm glad we got to talk about it. I mean, it, it reflects on, you know, if I look at my role in terms of senior hires, um, it used to be underwriting broken claims almost exclusively. And then over time, it became more operations and then slightly, slightly more data focused. And now it's more data engineering technology focused and, and that's that's just reflective of the hires that are being made at senior level so we are seeing that change and and as you rightly say the more progressive insurers the new ones for the market are making much heavier investments in those sectors so um look i'll leave i'll leave it there because we, I've, I've already pushed pushed the hour boundary already so uh no but that's that's a good reflection because i didn't notice it go so Amrit, thank you very much for your time i really really do appreciate it um you're very welcome thanks for having me i enjoyed that yeah, no, not at all. And um, what was the name of your podcast again so people can go and check it out? Yep, Startup Dads. Come and check out the Hyper Exponential LinkedIn page or my LinkedIn page. You'll see lots of promotion uh, there. Yeah. And I will show, make sure that I include a link in uh, the below. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. Thank You're very you. very welcome. Thanks. Bye.
So there you go. That was Amrit from HX. What a great guy. Um, I really enjoyed that. I, 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 I feel like I'm boring and I say that I always enjoy that, but I really, really do. So um, um, I started this podcast um, because it comes out of my business interest, but it is out of my interests. And um, you get to meet some interesting people. And um, Amrit was certainly one of those. So thank you, Amrit, for your time and, 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 and insight. I really enjoyed it. Um, as ever, this uh, show was brought to you by um, FinPro. Um, we are FinPro.com is the website for one find out more about what we do we're a specialist um, a recruitment firm that operates in the insure tech and insurance space um, i've been your host alex bond if you want to reach out to me directly with some feedback good or bad um, or if you'd be interested in potentially being a guest on the show please let me know you can contact me on linkedin so that's alex bond at finpro or feel free to reach out to me on email which is alex at we are um, i look forward to uh, speaking to more of you guys soon and um, yeah reach out to me if you want to find out more